Hi, welcome to the Marianne Williamson podcast. I have someone very special to introduce you to, my guest, Jordan Sheraton. Before we uh, have our conversation, I want to say a few things. Uh, I know this is kind of hard to believe, but when I was growing up, we did not hate the media. We actually trusted the media in this country, and we did believe, and for some good reasons, that we had basically fair reporting. There was a fairness doctrine. We knew that there were people who were not just in it for the money. Uh, news was not about an economic bottom line. It was actually about informing and educating the public. I'm not romanticizing anything here. I'm not saying it was perfect. Obviously, as you can imagine, racial issues, criminal justice issues, even then, etc. There were many things that should have been discussed that I'm sure were not. But what started to happen in the 1980s took things in a far worse direction. First of all, the elimination of the fairness doctrine so that a news reporting agency no longer had the legal responsibility to present both sides of an argument. And then in 1996, Bill Clinton signed the Telecommunications Act that led to the corporate conglomeratization of the news media. That's why we call it now mainstream media. You know, when I was a kid, the same company could not own the newspaper and the television station and the radio station because the diversity of opinion was actually valued, institutionally valued. In fact, there were news organizations and television stations where people who were in news and people who were in sales, they were not on the same floor of the building and the two floors, there was no way that the elevator went to both stops. All that burst open with the Telecommunications Act. Now there are a few companies that own most of the mainstream news, and they are in it for profit. And we know what has happened because of this. And we know now that people are correct. They are legitimate in their resentment of the media because of how often the media does more to stir the pot and make us hate each other than it does to actually inform us. You know, there's all this talk about what's left and what's right. There was a wonderful book by Matt Taibbi called Hate, Inc. He actually traces historically how all of this came to be. And they just chop wood and carry water for the real forces that run this country. That's why I often call it a political media industrial complex. People are supposed to think other citizens are their enemy rather than realizing that the suppression comes from these corporate forces. The real dichotomy is not left versus right. The real dichotomy is between the powerful and the powerless in America. Who's going to tell the story? Who's going to inform people? Who's going to educate people? Who's going to put the real mirror up to what's happening in this country? Because it's my experience that when people do understand, people are intelligent, people are noble, and people care. And when there's a real problem, the people of the United States would fix the problem, and we are coming to see how invested too many of our most powerful institutions are in creating those problems and not solving them. That's where independent media comes in and why it's so important. And our guest today is one of the prime examples of big figures within the world of independent media. Jordan Sheridan is an investigative reporter with Status Coup, C-O-U-P, a progressive independent media outlet that covers important stories on the ground that the mainstream media typically ignores. Since 2016, Sheridan has reported nearly 20 times in Flint, Michigan, on the ongoing water crisis and cover-up. 
He also reported for months on Standing Rock in North Dakota from the indigenous-led fight against the Dakota Access Pipeline. He also covered the 2016 and 2020 presidential campaigns, opting to avoid pundits and the political horse race in favor of interviewing and telling the stories of everyday working-class people. For Status Coup, Cheriton has covered a lot of ground across the country, reporting on the front lines of worker strikes, union drives, increasing homelessness, mass evictions, worker and Black Lives Matter protests. His investigative reporting and commentary has been featured in Vice News, The Intercept, The Hill, CNBC, Mediaite, Detroit Metro Times, and other outlets. Once again, Jordan Sheraton, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Jordan, I asked you before we came on, I said on a scale of one to 10, how hopeful are you? And you responded four. And I said in response to that, that that seemed like a pretty reasonable um, answer to me. You are right in the thick of it. You see what's really going on in this country. And you also see the very sad, almost tragic gap between what's really going on and what is reported too often in the mainstream media. What is the situation in this country regarding these things as you see it? Yeah, you know, I've been across the country now for seven years um, and I've seen a lot of optimistic and hopeful things, particularly this last year in 2021, as uh, I think we could all be thankful workers are really fighting back in a lot of ways. Uh, but I've seen a lot of uh, other things that uh, just seem like kind of the old that old record spinning <laughs> uh, in terms of um, really the controlled demolition uh, of the middle class uh, is, is how I view it. Uh, and, you know, so many communities where I go out and I cover things and, and then I turn on CNN and it's like I'm. I'm, I'm living in it or I'm covering an alternate reality. You know, what's actually what I'm seeing on the ground is not depicted by mainstream media. So uh, I'm optimistic in terms of I, I do see uh, the working class um, starting to realize that, uh, you know, we can't wait for uh, our politicians to, to do the right thing and, you know, lift our wages, our benefits, uh, go after employers uh, exploiting us. I think they're banding together to to realize their own power and their own leverage. Uh, but I am also, uh, you know, pessimistic, if I'm being honest, because, you know, you see two political parties that even after, uh, you know, campaigns and, and each one we hear is the most important election of our lifetime, um, you see the same thing happening. And that's, uh, you know, the legalized bribery of our government and uh, donors just stripping down to nothing. Uh, legislation that could help the very people I'm covering all over the country. So uh, on that end, uh, I don't see too much hope that that our corrupt political system uh, will be reformed. Um, but on the other end, I am feeling optimistic and hopeful seeing across the board. Uh, I covered uh, the John Deere strikes uh, in Iowa. I covered the Starbucks workers in Buffalo who were just victorious and won the first unionized Starbucks in uh, Buffalo. I've covered the Amazon workers fighting here in New York uh, to unionize. So I am hopeful that workers are, are, are banding together and fighting back because for a long time in this country, you did not see uh, that kind of uh, real uh, solidarity and uh, real union worker force to, to fight back against these forces. 
You used an extraordinary phrase. You said it's the controlled demolition of the middle class. You're right. It is a controlled demolition of the middle class, and it's been going on for 40 years. Uh, we have a mutual friend, Peter Hager, and he said something that I thought really says it all. He said, it turns out Trump was not the wake-up call. As it turns out, Biden is the wake-up call. People are now saying it doesn't matter who they vote for, that whether it's Trump as president or Obama as president or Biden as president, you still got the low minimum wage. You've still got tens of millions of Americans who don't have health care. You've still got over half a million people who are homeless. You've still got tens of millions of people sending their kids to crumbling schools. You've still got tens of millions of people uh, shackled by these college loans. You've still got tens of millions of people who, who can't get out of their circumstances because even if they have a job, they have to have more than one job. Uh, obviously, the striking workers are beginning to fight back, as you're saying, and so forth. Um, even though it's very painful to realize this, to realize that neither major political party is really taking a stand uh, for the workers of America, the way traditionally at least the Democratic Party did, and I don't think the Republicans ever before this time were quite as egregious uh, as they have been in the last over the last 40 years in stomping all over the rights of the middle class. At the same time, even though the pain is so great among so many people, as you said, there's a lot of pushing back. It's like there's a lot of waking up, and it's a painful realization to realize, you know, it's like children realizing mommy and daddy are both nuts. Uh, mommy's not taking care of us and daddy's not taking care of us. But that's when a child begins to grow up. I mean, there's a maturation process. And I think that people like yourself are helping to make that happen. So here you are, you're reporting. And, and, and all of you, you can find out more about Status Coup. You can go to YouTube, Status Coup, C-O-U-P, also statuscoup.com and at Status Coup on Twitter. But because you are so successful, because you are really putting the news out there, because you are covering all these stories that are so different than the ones covered in mainstream media, because people are seeing, oh, wow, this is what's really going on in this country, they've started sort of coming after you, haven't they? Tell us what's going on, Jordan. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, it's gotten to the point where uh, to do what I do, which is go around the country and it's expensive. I mean, I don't have any corporate sugar daddies uh, funding us. Uh, we don't take corporate money. We're funded by people, uh, you know, small dollar paid memberships. But YouTube particularly has made it so it's almost like they're hiding us. Uh, you know, years ago, if I was on the ground in Flint or uh, another location covering a story, um, we might be live to, you know, 500, 600 people. Um, now, I'm lucky if we go live, you know, I was on the ground uh, from the picket lines in Iowa covering the John Deere strikes, which very few others were. And we're lucky if we go live to 200 people. Uh, it's not because people don't care about these things anymore. There's still a huge hunger for real, particularly on the ground, on the scene journalism. It's that big tech algorithms have basically been hiding channels like status quo. Uh, and, you know, as Kyle Kalinske of Secular Talk and others have pointed out, uh, we have taken it on the chin a lot more than others. And I just find that very interesting that one of the few outlets that's really in the trenches, we're talking staying on the Flint water crisis, which is, to me, one of the biggest government cover ups of the 21st century. Um, the poisoning of a community, then leaving the cover up of that fact, leaving the residents to slowly die. The media has just abandoned it. 
we're one of the few outlets still there covering it. It's not shown. Uh, same thing, union drives, uh, fights against fossil fuel pipelines. Uh, we did a tour over the summer showing, you know, really exploding homelessness uh, and all these things in YouTube's algorithm. Uh, they're kind of buried and throttled while, uh, you know, other more mainstream outlets, you know, you go on YouTube now, you can't get away from CNN and others that show up in your feed. So it really is, it's a huge challenge. It's a huge obstacle. Uh, at times, you know, you talk about spirituality a lot. Uh, at times when I'm on the ground, uh, it's, it's totally deflating for me as, as a human, uh, because I, this is my purpose, you know, going out there, trying to give a voice to those that are never going to be on CNN, that are never going to be quoted in the New York Times. So it does get very uh, challenging when the masses are not seeing the content. You know, I could live with, I could live with it if everybody had a fair playing field and people just would rather watch the Kardashians than, you know, <laughs> what I'm doing in Flint or elsewhere. But uh, I don't think it's that. I think uh, through a lot of big tech censorship and, you know, screwing around with algorithms and propping up mainstream outlets and burying independent outlets, uh, they're basically they're fighting an information war, uh, not just YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. So I don't have the answers. If I did, uh, <laughs> I'd be a lot happier. But I hope uh, more independent channels realize that if we don't elevate one another, uh, whether you're an on the ground reporter, whether you're more of a, you know, opinion commentator, if we don't start working together and lifting each other, uh, they're going to bury all of us. So you've mentioned the word algorithm several times. You've talked about big tech censorship. Tell us exactly what happens, who does it, and how they do it, and why. I'll give you a perfect example. Today is January 6th. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of focus on the one-year anniversary of the uh, attacks on the Capitol. Uh, on January 6th last year, uh, my cameraman, John Farina, uh, he was one of the first people to go live. <laughs> uh, that image of the Capitol officer's uh, head rammed into the door was shot by us, uh, for status quo. Um, he was very brave. Uh, he had almost, almost broken ribs to show for it after, uh, as a camera person right in the trenches in that Capitol corridor. He shot that footage, which has been on CNN and ABC and NBC and international stations. We were able to license it all over the place. Uh, YouTube literally took it down from our channel, the original source who, who shot that footage. Uh, citing that we were advancing uh, false claims of election fraud. So to be clear, the news outlet that shot the original footage, YouTube took it down, claiming we were advancing election fraud, false election fraud claims. Um, when I kind of raised a stink on Twitter, um, saying, how is it that the original source it was taken down, but CNN, MSNBC, all the, you know, the, the major broadcasting networks, BBC, Australian networks. I mean, we're talking, we license this everywhere. Uh, it's up on their channels just fine. Uh, we were not given an answer and it remained down. Uh, that's just one example, uh, of insane, literally the, the, the source network that shot the footage, uh, they are penalized because we're an independent outlet while corporate outlets are able to use it in a variety of ways without censorship. Um, you know, there's been other instances where uh, YouTube has 
uh, for days and days and days is reviewing uh, a video of mine if I'm on the ground, let's say, in Flint. Uh, well, those first few days where they're reviewing it, we're not, we're not earning any money for those videos because they haven't, they're reviewing it, meaning it's not monetized. When they're reviewing it and it's not monetized, it's also further suppressed Away. in the algorithm. So uh, they don't do that for major mainstream outlets. And frankly, for your audience that doesn't know, the YouTube CEO openly came out, uh, I believe it was last year, saying, yeah, we, pro we elevate authoritative news. And he, she, she used CNN and Fox News as an example and stated, yeah, for smaller independent outlets, you'll have less visibility at, at first. Uh, the, the truth is YouTube has changed its algorithm because they had a huge advertiser revolt a few years ago. Uh, and they have changed their algorithm to prop up mainstream outlets that there is no real risk to advertisers. Uh, and they are trying to bury, uh, independent news outlets, uh, you know, particularly leftist outlets that their content might not shine so bright on capitalism, war, uh, work, you know, employers. Uh, so, you know, that's just a few examples, but, Overall, I mean, as our channel grows in terms of subscribers, our views continue to go down. Before YouTube changed its algorithm, it was the opposite. As you grow subscribers, your views tend to go up. So that's just some of the things we're dealing with in terms of, you know, taking down our historic footage. I would say what John Farina shot was historic for us. Um, you know, just keeping videos buried for days in reviews. Uh, and of course, you know, there's logistical things. We have 123,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. Literally, I have viewers telling me, I don't even see your content in our feed. And I've clicked the bell to get all notifications. That's not one viewer. We're getting that all the time. And that's, by the way, across the board, not just our channel, but you could talk to other creators. Viewers don't get notifications for independent channels. Uh, they don't see the view. They don't see the videos in their feed. So there's a real systematic thing that YouTube has been doing. They do have separate algorithms. And if you're on a more mainstream outlet, you know, like five years ago, Wolf Blitzer and CNN would get a couple thousand views. Now they're getting millions. Tell me, did people start suddenly loving Wolf Blitzer or are they being fed <laughs> Wolf Blitzer? So that's just a very tiny sample of what we've been dealing with. So let me ask you, if somebody's watching right now and they go, wow, well, I'd love to help him uh, be out there more, you know, so that people would see it more. Is there something any of us can do in terms of connecting our own YouTube channels to yours? What can people do to change that situation? Yeah, well, first and foremost, uh, you could go subscribe. So it's YouTube.com slash status coup, C-O-U-P. Just so you know, because people get confused after the January 6th coup, <laughs> we actually launched status coup under the guise that the status quo, we, we need a journalistic coup d'etat. So that was kind mm -hmm. of the play. Obviously, January 6th, sometimes people get confused, yeah. but we're not with that. Uh, so subscribe to our YouTube channel, click the bell. And for the on the ground reporting, I mean, we from the beginning said we can't fund this ourselves. So we have a small dollar paid membership model, you know, $5 a month. We have higher plans. And honestly, um, every time we go out on the, go out on the ground, uh, that's when we tend to get more signups because there's not a lot of that. There's not a lot of independent channels actually out there in the trenches covering all the things we've spoken about. So people, you know, if they like what we're doing, can sign up there at uh, statuscoup.com slash join. But as I was saying, yeah, I mean, 
one of the things that I'm going to be honest with you has been difficult. It's been really hard when I'm on the ground to get other bigger independent outlets to to cover the work, not necessarily to, to grow status quo, but just uh, to cover the on the ground reporting that we're doing. I mean, occasionally I've been on with Crystal Ball and Kyle Kalinske has done segments, but you know, there's been kind of this shift in independent media, if you've noticed, <laughs> where a lot more people are kind of focused on interpersonal drama and kind of like hot takes yeah. and fight and fighting. So it's That's been a gotta- real it's been a real difficulty sometimes when I'm on the ground because I'm like begging, hey, do you mind covering this? You know, I was in Louisville last year interviewing Brianna, Brianna Taylor's aunts because uh, that's still a cover up, her murder. Uh, and I couldn't get anyone to interview me about it. Um, so, yeah, that's been one of the challenges is also, you know, even even friends uh, in independent media to get them. You know, obviously, we want to focus uh, sometimes on on softer things, but to also elevate this kind of reporting. Yeah, it's very disappointing to see anybody in the independent media world uh, too focused on brand protection. And uh, (laughs) I do hope that 2022 will be a year when there's more of a coming together. And I sense that that's beginning to happen. And certainly anytime you have anything uh, that I could possibly put out there for you that you'd be interested in, know that I'm always available to you just with my Substack and my channels, etc. Something that you are, obviously, it's very close to your heart that you've worked extensively on uh, is the Flint water crisis. Um, people, like you said, they, it's, it's almost like it just sort of disappears from the public imagination, and yet it was never fixed. Uh, people were never held accountable um, in any substantive way. So tell us where that case uh, sits right now. What happened? What is happening? And unfortunately, what is likely to happen? Yeah, so I first went there in 2016. And when I first got there, it was when all the cameras had left. You know, Rachel Maddow had gone for like a week and done a town hall. Uh, major mainstream media went down for a brief period. But then, you know, just the the, the five, four or five years of the Trump circus uh, kind of took coverage of these kind of things like Flint uh, away. I mean, honestly, for me, it was backwards. Usually for a reporter, the hardest part is breaking stories uh, on cover-ups and getting sources. For me, not that that was easy, but I've broken four or five in important stories on the Flint water cover-up uh, for major outlets, it's been getting other outlets to give a damn. That's been the harder part. Uh, so where things stand is uh, in April, it'll be eight years since the water switch. Uh, they have still not replaced all uh, the broke pipes <laughs> that delivered that toxic water to uh, a majority minority city. Uh, there has not been one government official convicted eight years later. Uh, there's been two separate investigations. One was under uh, the previous attorney general, who was a Republican. The current one is in a Democratic attorney general. Uh, from my reporting, the original investigation, which was from 2016 to 2018, was actually going for it for real. I mean, they were building a case against the former Republican governor, Rick Snyder, for involuntary manslaughter. But the new attorney general at the time, Dana Nessel, who is a Democrat, she came in, cleaned house, uh, fired the whole team that had been doing the original investigation for three years. She brought in her own people. Uh, they charged Governor Snyder last year with a misdemeanor. Uh, oh. my, re- my reporting last year exposed that the original prosecution team, uh, they found evidence uh, in large part through Governor Snyder's phone calls that Governor Snyder was aware of the deadly waterborne 
uh, disease that was spreading throughout Flint, Legionnaire's disease, which killed uh, hundreds of people, possibly more, because Legionnaire's and pneumonia are uh, pneumonia is sometimes misdiagnosed that it's really Legionnaire's. Uh, But he knew about it a year and a half earlier than he told the public, and he sat on it uh, for political reasons. Uh, He also perjured himself to Congress. Uh, I broke that story a year ago. Uh, The Democratic uh, Oversight Committee in Congress, they issued a scathing statement against Governor Snyder based on my story. They said they would investigate. Like most other things with the Democrats, they have done nothing more. Uh, The attorney general- Yeah, the attorney general, Dana Nessel, again, they charged Governor Snyder with a misdemeanor. Uh, Based on my reporting, uh, he clearly perjured himself to Congress. He clearly knew about the toxic water a year and a half earlier than he notified the residents, which uh, at the very least uh, should have been misconduct in office. But like I said, the original investigators had found enough evidence that they were building a case for involuntary manslaughter. Uh, Then you look at the human element. Uh, Flint has been in an eight-year pandemic. The rest of us have been in a two-year <laughs> pandemic. Flint's been in an eight-year pandemic. And what I mean by that, <clears throat> the, full effects, the full effects of heavy metal poisoning does not happen right away. You get sicker and sicker over time. So there are residents, uh, I've been on the ground there 18 times. I first spoke with them four years ago. I, I saw them over the summer. It seems like they've aged 20 years. Uh, in terms of new illnesses developing, autoimmune, uh, much, much, COVID is much, much more of a risk to Flint residents or, or of all ages, not just older people, uh, are susceptible to a deadly airborne virus. Uh, they have never gotten Medicare for all in Flint, even though your audience might not know. Libby, Montana, 96% white, had an asbestos disaster about a decade ago uh, during the Obamacare negotiations. Their senator, uh rammed into Obamacare, Medicare for all for 96% white Libby, Montana, 53% black Flint, Michigan does not have Medicare for all for their growing list of medical ailments due to not just lead, the media focused on lead. There was bacteria in that water. There was uh, PFAS, which is uh, another cancer causing chemical in that water. There's a whole lot of other things in that water. Uh, So between the soft prosecution which frankly, Governor Snyder, he might even get off on a technicality. Um, No one has been convicted. Uh, Those residents do not have Medicare for all. They still face some of the highest water bills in the country. And most importantly, because the media has fed this nonsense, there is no declarative way eight years later to say that that water is currently safe. They have not replaced all the pipes. Reporting I have done uh, showed that Governor Snyder's environmental officials manipulated the testing. Um, they were running people's waters right before putting samples under the water, which is against the EPA's regulations because you're artificially flushing out lead. So at the moment, you know, most en- engineers I've spoken with, experts have said, yeah, if they haven't completely changed the infrastructure, uh, they haven't even touched the interior plumbing in people's homes. It's not like the toxic water just skipped over the interior plumbing. So at this moment, uh, and I've been to Flint as recently as six months ago, there are residents still to this day experiencing body rashes from the water, hair falling out in the shower, uh, What residents telling me their eyes burn when they shower. This is in an American city eight years later. Uh, and, you know, let's not just point out a Republican governor. This happened under President Obama. 
uh, President Biden, you know, not that President Trump did a, did a damn thing for Flint, but, uh, you know, neither has President Biden. In the 2020 presidential election, the second presidential debate of the Democratic Party was in Detroit, where I lived for eight years. And um, I spoke on the debate stage about how what happened in Flint would never have happened in Gross Point. It's an upstairs, downstairs state, and we've become an upstairs, downstairs country. And there are neighborhoods in which this would not be tolerated, in which the political power would be such um, that... Um, a problem would be taken care of. But of course, when you're talking about the poisoning of our water supply now, which is an issue all over the country, I think there are probably some people in some very rich neighborhoods who would be very surprised if they knew about all the chemicals in their water. Uh, people like Aaron Brockovich talks about this, how this is a far more ubiquitous problem than people have any idea. But once again, problem is out of sight, it's out of mind. When I was in New Hampshire, uh, uh, during the presidential campaign, the PFAS issue there, the forever chemical that doesn't break down. But once again, talking to someone like Aaron Brockovich, this is everywhere. And once again, it's no different whether it's a Democratic president or a Republican president. It just these situations don't seem to change. And the rage that people are feeling and have been feeling on the left and on the right is um, the issue now is will this explode uh, in further ways of violence or will it, will it explode in constructive political action that on in some way is able to override the system of what you correctly described uh, as legalized bribery? One yeah. of the places where you pointed out in 2021, there was an uprising of activism and reemergence of real uh, pushback against these uh untoward forces, to say the least, both politically and economically, is in the area of the labor movement, uh, whether it has to do with Starbucks, Amazon, John Deere. Um, tell us a little bit about your work there. Uh, are you feeling enthused? Uh, do you feel that the, the movement, you know, it seems to me that what's starting to happen is that the the left-wing activists and the right-wing activists working in the same plant or the same factory is starting to see that they're being oppressed by the same forces. And so there's tremendous political potential there. Would you agree? Yeah, I do agree. And I, I, I think there's, you know, I think there's an element that, um, you know, I think Bernie Sanders and, you know, I think he failed in some areas, but overall, I think there was a real political awakening five years ago. And, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think that there's a lot of working class people. I wouldn't even just say progressive people, but working class people that uh, from my traveling were really brought into not just the political process, but just taking action, you know, organizing. Uh, and I see that a lot where when I go to Amazon's warehouse or I go to John Deere or uh, in Buffalo to cover the Starbucks union drive or interview Nabisco workers who are, were on strike. Uh, I see a lot of people that um, first got involved over the last couple of years, whether it be Bernie or whatever else, uh, activist groups, um, progressive groups, environmental groups uh, that, you know, frankly, are um, a little disappointed with, um, you know, how things have gone, you know, after Bernie's last uh, campaign and frankly, no capital P progressive leadership, I would say right now, no, no firm figure leader in the progressive movement. So they've kind of just decided to, you know, take matters into their own hands, uh, borrowing a little bit, I guess, from Bernie, but also the idea that, you know, it starts from the ground up. I mean, I can't tell you how many workers 
that I spoke with and I, I would ask like, what made you do this now rather than it's not like Amazon was any better two, three years ago. And uh, I, you just hear like, well, you know, <laughs> what you see is what you get. Uh, we're not getting any help from Washington. So if we don't do anything, if we don't do anything, nothing's going to change. So I think there's that awakening now. And, I, and I'm not like encouraging people give up completely on the electoral system. I don't think it's an either or. But I do think um, more workers that I'm seeing are realizing that they have a lot more leverage and power uh, coming together and, and using their power in terms of walking out, strikes, union drives. Uh, they got a lot more power that way than just waiting for you know the Democratic Party uh, to save them. Are uh, many of the people that you were talking to on the picket lines, et cetera, particularly concerned about the uh, failure of this Congress to pass the PRO Act? Yeah. And that's another thing, honestly, and this is not just with the workers, uh, but from Flint to everywhere, everywhere I go, you speak with actual working people, they are more educated and more articulate than any pundit you will ever see on CNN. It, every single time, it's, it's just unbelievable to me because I always say if, if, if these people were on Anderson Cooper every night, we'd have a much better country, a much better informed country. Uh, but yeah, be- a lot. A lot of them have, have talked about the PRO Act in particular, uh, particularly Amazon workers, John Deere workers, um, the union uh, heads, because let's not forget, these people are able to go on strike because for the most part, they're unionized uh, and unions are allowing them and giving them the structural support, strike pay, uh, some health care benefits if their employers are cutting them off. Uh, but a lot of them have pointed to uh, that the PRO Act would really, really change the game. And frankly... Like a lot of other things, you know, we've heard talk from Biden and the Democrats, but really no action on that. Well, we're living at a time where there is this awakening and there is this further activism. I um, I felt when I was running that I saw two things. I saw that the system was even more corrupt than I knew. And people, like you just said, are smarter than I knew, more hip to what's happening than I knew. Because like you said, you don't see these average people on television every night. Because if you did, you'd realize they're a lot smarter than the pundits. They're speaking from lived experience. And the value of your work, of course, is that you show us those forces. I think all of you uh, listening to Jordan uh, today really understand why it's so important that we not only support in general independent media, but particularly Jordan Sheridan and Status Coup. There is nobody who's out there more than Jordan is showing us what is happening. And when you see it, I hope that you will subscribe to his YouTube channel. And that is uh, youtube.com slash status coup. And we're going to have to compensate for the failure of the system to put this information out there. We have to override this suppression. And don't get, you know, don't, don't kid yourself. This is deliberate suppression of information. This is big tech censorship. This is what people are understanding. This is not kind of sort of censorship. This is big tech censorship. This is weaponizing the algorithms, using them, and even admittedly so. Like Jordan was saying, the head of YouTube is saying, yeah. And like uh, Jordan's uh, point was so well made about Wolf Blitzer. It's not that people are just so in love with Wolf Blitzer, but they turn on their computer and that's what's blaring at them. So you and I have to become involved. We all have to be guerrilla fighters in this uh, in this moment, not violent fighters. We have to. What what, you, what terms should we use? Because we want to get away from fight. We want to get away from war imagery. But we have to be guerrillas. We have to be out there. We have to be getting around uh, these horrible and in some cases ubiquitous forces that are suppressing the information, suppressing the um, 
so much of what we need in order to course correct this country. So this is one of the ways you can do it because this man, Jordan Sheridan, is laying it down like it is and he's showing us like it is. If you want to see what's going on in Flint, Michigan, Jordan Sheridan will show you. If you want to, my, my first, um, uh, exposure to your work, Jordan, was when the protests were going on in, in Portland. I knew about you. I had seen stuff, but man, that was when I went, wow, this guy's like showing it. He's down on the ground and we're seeing what's happening. And of course, the BLM protests, et cetera, is an example where the system um, came up with its own narrative. And then you need people like Jordan Sheridan that are on the ground saying, no, this is what's actually going on. So we need to do it. We need to, if you want you know, if, like, like Jordan was saying, he's not getting corporate sponsorship, obviously, but it's worse than that he's not getting corporate sponsorship. Uh, forces that be are actually making it more and more difficult for him to get to you. And so we have to go find him and we have to support him. And that's what 2022 has to be about. It can't be an ain't it awful year. It can't be the year of bitching and moaning and whining. It can't be the year of brand protection, no matter who we are. It's got to be the year in which we stand up and each of us um, in our own way. You have a Twitter account. You have Instagram uh, you have uh, YouTube. Get on there. Uh, do you have an Instagram account as well? Um, Jordan, what is that? Yep. We're on Instagram, status quo, uh, Instagram.com slash status quo. Uh, I'm at Jordan Sheridan. (laughs) I have 120,000 subscribers, but that's another place. Followers tell me, I don't even see your tweets anymore. Uh, You know, I tweet every day. So every entry point, uh, there's suppression of uh, people like me, uh, documentary filmmakers, uh, you know, that show you uh, other, you know, wars in other countries and corruption in other countries. But yeah, I'm on Twitter at Jordan Charitin, at Status Coup on Twitter. Again, Status C-O-U-P, YouTube.com slash Status Coup. And, you know, I'll also mention real quick, it's not just big tech that's censoring. People need to realize part of why a place like Flint doesn't have clean water eight years later is because every time I've broken major stories, the Flint Journal ignores it. The Detroit Free Press ignores it. The Detroit News ignores it to the point where they literally have told me, yeah, you got some big stuff here, but yeah, we can't really report on this anymore. I've been told that by editors. So and that's a, it, that- it's, it's corporate outlets, not just big tech through the algorithm, but these big corporate mainstream outlets, they set the narrative, they decide what gets covered and through ignoring, uh, stories under, you know, underneath them that are, you know, independent outlets, uh, the math, it's infuriating when I go to Flint, Michigan, a lot of the residents don't even know what I've broken because they haven't seen it in their media. Uh, so yeah, I really appreciate it, Marianne. And, uh, if people want to support the work, uh, they could also join as a member. You know, we do a monthly zoom call, uh, with our members, uh, status com slash join. Okay, we will put all that information up on the page. And once again, everything that Jordan was just saying about what's going on in Michigan, that's with the Democratic governor. So we have to get over thinking any major political party is coming to save us at this point. The, the power is in our hands, and we have to use it. Jordan Sheridan, thank you so much. Once again, I'm a big fan, and I urge everybody here to take action yourself, uh, not only to gather the information that Jordan is putting out there, but to help Status Coup get their information out there. This is the year we will either do it or God help us. God bless you, Jordan. Thank you very, very much. Thank you.